Hey, everybody, and welcome to 52 Weeks of Empowerment. I am your host, Andrea Pagnosi, and I'm also a career empowerment coach who is fiercely dedicated to getting everyone in 2022 to realizing their true career potential. In recent weeks, we've devoted this podcast to this time point during our year when people start to step back a little bit from the job search, step back a little bit from much of anything. If you're like me, you're probably planning your next vacation during the summer months more than you're looking for your next career opportunity. However, given the economic standpoint that we're in as a nation, looking at opportunities because the job force and hiring out there is still really, really healthy, there are a lot of people out there that are looking for other opportunities. And some of that stems from the fact that they are not getting what they need from leadership. I would argue that those leaders are also not getting what they need. And so today's talk is going to be with a guest that is going to set records straight as it pertains to empowering leaders to be their best selves. Because if you think you're stressed, scope it up to the managers and what they see on their plates day to day. It's not easy. And some of this has been a residual effect from the pandemic, but some of it is also a residual effect of people learning to make do with less. And the people that mastermind behind that are the managers. So this is going to give optics that I don't think a lot of people are giving much attention to. And we're going to do that today. I am thrilled to have our guest here today, a peer of mine. I know you're going to learn a lot from him. He has a way with words. He's also had a lot of experience, 16 years in sales and sales leadership, to be exact. An individual that actually enabled um, himself in many ways and taken a lot of that experience and bringing it to the forefront in his business. His business is called The People Tree. I love that. He is a career success coach, and he focuses on helping leaders be their best selves by redefining success. And he's going to talk a lot about that today and de-stressing. God forbid we de-stress our leaders. I'm so excited about this uh, content today. I want to welcome Adrian Trumbo to 52 Weeks of Empowerment. Welcome, Adrian. Thanks for having me, Andrea. Yeah. So tell us a little bit. I've said, you know, very cursory, you were in sales and sales leadership. Tell us about your journey from there to becoming somebody who's helping championing those individuals. Well, I like what you said about taking some of my experiences and then using that to help leaders now. Um, as far as coaching goes, I had my own sales coach, like specifically to help me look, look at the numbers, examine my activity and help me get better results. That was my first coach when I was in sales and that didn't resonate much with me. And I got, ended up getting a life coach, a trained and certified life coach, uh, similar to what I do now. And that just opened my mind to what coaching can do for, well, for me, because I experienced it, but that also generated my interest in becoming a professional coach. As the years went on, I realized sales was going to continue to be my path. I really wanted to get into coaching. Um, after I left sales in 2019, I had a brief stint at a small sales recruiting firm with the goal in mind of still becoming a trained and professional coach. And being in the pandemic, 
like millions and millions of other people, especially small businesses, I lost my job. And that ended up being the perfect time for me with a little bit of extra spare time on my hands to go through my coach training with uh, the Institute for Professional Excellence in Coaching. And I got certified as a coach uh, in 2020. And then I got my professional certified coach a credential through the International Coaching Federation in July of last year. Um, and since that time, I have been a career strategist type of coach, a career coach, a life coach. I did coach some salespeople early on, but now specifically, as you mentioned, I work with leaders. I help them redefine success. I help them experience more success without all the stress. Was the impetus of your mission by and large because of what you had experienced as a leader? I did get pretty stressed out as a leader when I was in sales. And for a period of time, I stepped out of leadership and back into being an individual contributor. And I always, just my personality, I want quality over quantity. I want to do more with less. I want to be myself more often in more places. And so through that experience, also through some of the discoveries and I came to through a very intensive coaching program. Yeah. Some combination of what I was learning about myself, what I knew about myself, and then the coach specific training that gave me the tools, but it was very much rooted in personal experiences, both me, people in my lives, uh, leaders that I've had uh, that led me to really want to work with leaders. Cause I just, right now it, it just completely energizes me. There's never a moment where I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I here? I love every minute of it and taking those elements of my own personal experiences had a lot to do with it. Yeah. It's one of those situations where you're like, where was I then? You look back and you say, who could I have been for that version of me? Mm-hmm. And so it was good too, because you, you develop empathy and you end up seeing a little bit of yourself in every coachee or client who resonates with you and partners with you to help them in a coaching program, kind of and wanting to be that resource of support that maybe you didn't have. What's funny to me is the way that you and I, we were in similar auspices. I was in the life sciences space for sales. You were in sales and sales leadership as well. The quantifiable way that people get promoted to being a leader is that they did well in sales. You, oh, congratulations. Now do it for a whole team. Have fun storming the castle. You know, they don't give you any training for it. They just got to, and even if you have a good training program, you've gone from being their peer to being their leader. So you've kind of crossed over the dark side. But what's interesting to me about that career ascension is that people who've done it often say what you just said, which is, I wish that I had a mentor that could have helped me through this process. I think that's a lot of the reason why I got into coaching as well. So I completely resonate with what you're saying because they want you to be one thing. You were a successful salesperson. So I want you to emulate that for an entire team. But I'm also going to pile your desk up with a bunch of stuff that you've got to also do, which takes you away from actually doing the job of being a people leader. Can you expand a little bit on how you talk to leaders about that sort of dichotomy about being versus doing? I go back to the principle of doing is work, being is effortless. And I feel like I shouldn't have to explain it any more than that, but I will think about as a leader, especially those moments 
where time just flies, where maybe you're in your groove in a sales presentation, maybe you're in your groove doing some role-playing or doing some field work with a sales rep, and you've developed this version of yourself that just feels very natural to you. But talking about being versus doing, when you move from an individual contributor to a leader, you kind of have to develop a whole new identity. And I think that that's where a lot of leaders fail is they didn't identify as a leader, but they were a tremendous salesperson. Mm -hmm. And then we have a lot of organizations that have their sales leaders also sell and carry a quota and then also lead a team of people. And that comes with it a whole host of things, but it really boils down to as a leader, as a human, those moments where you can access flow and ease, it just seems very natural are often the times where you are more present and you're just being you. And then the doing, when it feels like work, it's likely because some element of you and your identity and who you really are is being pulled in multiple directions. And so that tension literally is work to balance between who you are and what you end up doing. Best roles that you could get into or the best leader you could work under or with is allowing you to be and then take that being into the doing versus having to grapple with your own identity because you're doing something that's not consistent or aligned with who you are. Of course, that's going to feel like extra effort. It's going to feel like a lot of work. So that jump from individual contributor to sales leader, it's a very real thing where you could feel that misalignment. And then that could obviously impact your well-being and impact the results of your team. I find that I'll be asked by somebody who's thinking of becoming a manager, do you think I would like it? A very simple question. I know that I'm not happy doing what I'm doing and I want to get a promotion, but they think that's the next logical progression. They don't look at lateral moves or maybe there's a different ascension because not everybody's cut out for people leadership. Do you find that in your practice that there are people that have taken these roles on kind of like it was the next logical step, but I don't know that it was the right one for me. Oh, absolutely. I think that's a great topic to get coached on. You know, I'm next in line. I'm most senior. I'm the first or second top producing salesperson. It seems like a logical progression, but left to your own devices, you might not have the tools to evaluate. Is this what's best for me? And you might just sort of go with the status quo of this is what you do when you've been there for five, seven, 10 years and you've reached a certain level in sales, you get into leadership. So that's a very common topic for leaders, even you know the emerging leaders, the middle managers, the emerging leaders, uh, all of them to identify, does this next role really align with who I am and my values mm-hmm. versus it's just what people expect. So I'm going to go with it. And that can be quite problematic. Well, some people can make it work out, but you'd obviously rather start with what resonates with you what plays your strengths, your values, what allows you to still feel like you can be yourself and then find the right opportunity. But it's perfectly natural for seasoned salespeople to feel like that's a progression. We just hop into sales. And to what you said at first, like all this idea that great salespeople can make great leaders, they don't go together. Those pieces don't always fit very well together. So almost every walk of life with leaders, whether it's architecture, it's any type of even physicians who are then going to be the embodiment of the chief of staff. It's an ascension that may be thrust upon them that's adding more stress to an already stressful situation. 
Walk me through this concept about leaders knowing that they need to get help, but they've fallen into this, well, I'm a leader, so I can't really show all my cards that I need to learn. But if I say that, they may question whether they've made the right decision and I've got to make a go of this. Talk me through what I think you called learned helplessness. Learned helplessness is this psychological principle that situations are happening to us. Why even bother to attempt to make a difference? So as a leader, if your thought is, well, everything I've seen around me is good salespeople become leaders, then you wouldn't try to explore other avenues. You would just sort of go with it. And for salespeople, that's where you start to develop a victim mentality. That's where you start to not be able to focus on what you can control because you're like, well, I'm trying really hard, but nothing seems to work. It's very much rooted in a fixed mindset um, and not a growth mindset. So when you're experiencing learned helplessness. And that's oftentimes has a lot to do with your environment, has a lot to do with people around you. That's where getting a coach could be helpful because you're seeing these insurmountable circumstances or the status quo that you thought you should just follow, that you've lost a little bit of yourself. And it makes perfect sense that it would be very hard given those circumstances and given what you've led yourself to believe to step outside that box and view yourself and your circumstances more objectively. That's what a coach gets compensated very well to do because you can help somebody transform their circumstances, really transforming their lives influences their circumstances. And then you moved from that sense of why even try to let me focus on me and who I am and what I can, who I can be and what I can do. And then it's like magic. All of a sudden, the circumstances seem like they change. But yeah, if you get to a point of learned helplessness, showing your cards, I think, is the brave thing, although it's not the popular thing or else we would coach everyone. But that's the kind of leader that I would follow, the one who says they don't have all the answers and maybe even they get stuck a little bit from time to time. And in my experience, those were always the types of leaders that I wanted to follow. The ones who looked ironclad and they got it all figured out, there's something phony about that. My radar kind of goes up that way with people too. And it, it, I put on my curiosity cap and think, well, maybe I need to ask some more questions here because what they're presenting to me is not what my senses are telling me is maybe what's really happening. Yeah. Vulnerability for me is a good litmus test. If people are not ashamed to say, hey, I'm not perfect. I want to be better. That's the person that's going to do the work necessary to get the job done. Those that are acting as if they're being forced to something, they're being led to drink the Kool-Aid as the adage goes, but they've got it in the bag. I can figure this out. I don't need your help are the ones that typically are going to be lost at some point. How do you empower people who are in that sort of a mindset, they know they need help, maybe to simplify their day-to-day or to de-stress a little bit. How do you empower people in that mindset? Yeah, well, the go, 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 do, 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 more, more, more. I mean, that's common. We can all get stuck in that cycle of thinking, attaching success and happiness out on the horizon. And then you reach a goal and it keeps getting punted down the road. All feel happy and successful when, and then it never arrives. Mm -hmm. So empowering people to focus on quality over quantity, on making more out of less, you usually just 
you're probably going to be focused on external factors, things outside of your control. And you can almost directly correlate levels of stress to focus on things other than yourself, circumstances, other people, situations, other people's opinions, et cetera. So to restore that power back, to empower people to focus on just a few very key things and not everything in the overwhelm, getting back to who you are, who do you need to be in order to dot, 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 and challenging people to evaluate the lens that they're putting out and turn it into a mirror and look at themselves. And that is where it requires a lot of work. You say empower, because once you do get there, it is a very, very powerful place to be. And there's also less stress there. But running them through a funnel of sorting through their circumstances and really figuring out what's at the head of the spear is typically you focusing on you and what you think and what you do um, and controlling your emotions. It simplifies things. And what you end up at the end of a coaching conversation is people pick an action step that's like so ridiculously simple because they've cleared out all the clutter, they've cleared out all the fog. And then the action step becomes I'm going to put that thing in my calendar. I'm going to write that sticky note and put it on the monitor. I'm going to send that text. I'm going to send that email. Like really, really, really simple stuff that just focuses on what's right in front of them being present. Um, and so that could be a process. But getting them to focus on who they are and who they want to be within certain situations, that's where all the power is. I also would love to hear your take on this because I had a conversation recently with a corporate CEO who was interested in implementing some sort of a training program that empowered leaders to have better time and prioritization, right? Management. And asked me, and I'm going to ask the same question of you, do you think that with leaders the stress that comes from them, aside from the job itself, and I'm, I know everybody's different, but I'm saying in the, in the general population, the stress to succeed and to over-deliver on goals comes from an innate analytical gremlin on their shoulder that's saying you've got to overcommit and you better not under-deliver. Think it's self-imposed or do you think that it's imposed due to a post-pandemic world that we live in? So what I would go as far to say is that gremlin you talked about who tells you things that usually aren't true, and it's often rooted way back in the past. A lot of times it's tied to trauma. Somewhere in the range of like eight to early teens is when a lot of those gremlin messages get set. We spend our whole lives having conversations with this gremlin. Probably is rooted in the past. And I think also, I mean, we have a second pandemic on our hands with the mental health crisis the last two and a half years. So absolutely, yes, to the pandemic, the isolation, the politicking, the mask or no mask, the how bad is it going to be? Is it going to get worse? It got better, but there's a new wave, all this stuff. And then if you're a parent, your kids I and mean, their inconsistent schooling, that is enough to drive somebody crazy. So that gremlin message that you had all those years for most people is probably very, very loud has a very loud megaphone or very loud speaker, maybe louder than ever. And as a coach, I've experienced that to be an opportunity 
for coaches to help more people. And then to have that conversation at the corporate level where corporate benefits are now being instituted that provide uh, resources for coaching and other forms of support. The gremlin message, I think for young, for old, for experienced or inexperienced is always there. Just from what I've experienced the last two and a half years. Yeah, it's gotten way louder for a lot of people. And that's why the numbers and cases around so many different things related to mental health are so high. Absolutely. And I think that was the general consensus when I had this conversation with that CEO is that his concern was more along the line on the long-term benefits they offered to leaders, not just training and development dollars, but dollars to invest in their well-being. And it wasn't just about stretch breaks or meditation or you know, those fundamental wellness things, but it was really about de-stressing, decluttering their deaths. And I know that this is a hot button for you as well. So when we initially spoke, I said, I got to get Adrian on the program to talk about this in some detail, because this is specifically one of the areas that you work with. You shared with me, even that there's a concept that you work on with clients that enables them to get better results stronger results, hitting their goals in half the time without adding more stress to them. Can you speak a little bit to how you do that with clients? When I first started as a career coach, that was the first sort of bit of coaching I did when I started. And I I don't do, it was more career transition coaching. But what I started to notice is when I moved from sort of checking the box with your resume, checking the box with you have to have this amount of interviews. Or when I moved away from the check the box type of career coaching, and I moved more to about 75% of it being pure sort of transformational type life and leadership coaching, I noticed that the amount of time they spent in their job search just down and down and down. And it went from 120 days to 99 days to 90 days. I had some people get hired in a couple of days, but over the course of helping over 60 people get hired, their average time on the job search, meaning they show up day one with me. And then from that time to when they get a job offer was on average 78 days when we had goal set for six months. And so I thought, well, there's got to be something to this. And so what it really boiled down to was less of the doing and more being redefining success. So the question would become less, what are your goals or what do you want to achieve? And it would start more with who do you want to be? What does success look like for you? that you can actually control. And then you end up with people setting goals around how they want to show up. And then that influences how they perform in conversations and in interviews. And every day is a win. Every moment's a win. And then even if the outcome, which you cannot control, ends up being a loss, right? You don't get the job. You don't get the promotion, et cetera. There's a learning. But if you can give yourself a certain sensation, if you could show up a certain way, and take that through the experience, then on the back end, regardless of the outcome, you can build on that better potential outcomes. And then regardless of the end result, you've learned something. Mm -hmm. And what you also end up doing simultaneously through that is detaching yourself from the outcome being the measure of success. Their goals start happening so much more quickly and the income grows. It's like magic where they say, you know, I got an email back from that potential prospect, or I got an email back from that, that presentation I did where they said, I want to think about it. You just start to notice these things happening that you would not have seen or experienced to that degree. If you hadn't focused on who you are, how you show up, how you define success 
and what you learn and all these things you can control. And so you also simultaneously lower your stress. And by focusing on those things, you can accomplish more because you're not focused on all the noise that's happening. You're, you're really focused on very few things. You can redefine success in a way that you can experience success all the time. Are you seeing that trust is also a factor that they're saying, yeah, I'm connecting more with people? Yes. Yeah. It's like uh, alignment. I mean, you could use the example of your car. When your car's misaligned, you feel every bump and turn in the road. But when your car is aligned, when everything's greased up and ready to go, you can focus on the road ahead. You're not listening to the squeaks and the, and the wheels not veering one direction or the other. And so when I think of being aligned with yourself, that's like the law of attraction just starts. People become attracted to that like magnetism and they can't even explain it. There's just something about Andrea. She's so present and she's so honest with herself, even though she's not perfect. And then this idea of not being perfect becomes quite admirable. You don't have all the answer. You don't pretend to be the expert all the time. I certainly don't. I'm very open to people disagreeing with my position on things because it's my position on things and you have yours. And so that's going to be about you. And what I say is going to be about me. And when you can port yourself that way, when you can communicate that way, you know what it's going to do over time to one degree or another, it's going to influence the people around you from a leadership standpoint to feel like they can open up to you. But here's what I'll say. Caveat results may vary, but it is a risk I'm willing to take in order to honor myself. Perfect example was you sent me liner notes and I had a couple of thoughts I wanted to share on those liner notes. And if I would not have honored the, this thought that I wanted to share on the liner notes, I would have been in violation of me. Yep. It would have affected how I showed up to this conversation. I have to understand also that maybe you may not take to the way that I worded something or how I suggested something very well. I cannot control that. So that's risky. You can develop a lot of trust by just trusting yourself. Mm -hmm. And then you have a little bit more of that to give away. And I think that's true of anything. If you want to experience more love, love yourself more. If you want to trust more people, trust yourself more. If you want more confidence in your spouse or others around you, focus on your confidence first. This notion of control what you can control and only what you can control and understanding what that sphere of influence is when you're a leader, that is a big responsibility is to not unduly influence because people are going to look to you to follow but I also go back to what I said at the beginning of the program about leaders that for the last couple of weeks, we have focused on this program almost entirely on the individual and them forwarding the action and having faith in themselves to take the first step instead of just talking about it or thinking about it. Self-accountability is huge and never more important than managers. And you just talked about the risks they take. Um, you know, how do you, how do you actualize that in your clients? How do you, um, when we talked, we talked about that hell yeah comment. You want to work with somebody who really wants to work on themselves. So how do you ensure that they're going to do the work to make the changes? 
Yeah. Well, the first thing I would say about that is, you know, going back to focusing on yourself, if you want to make your leader's life easier as an individual contributor, putting things on them to solve where you could otherwise solve them yourself, that just adds to a leader's plate. So picture you have a team of 12 and they bring all their problems to you, 99% of which the leader can't solve, but they try like heck to because they're the leader who saves these things. But that's also the leadership's job. You know, the further you get into leadership, the more your allegiances are to the company. The individual contributor doesn't always understand that. And so make sure, I always go back to sort of the expectation management around that, just to make your leader's life a little bit easier. Expectations should be clearly communicated and also mutually agreed upon. How often do we get ourselves in trouble as leaders or parents or spouses where we expect something of somebody else, but they haven't agreed to those conditions. So, so I would say make sure that expectation management is airtight. But from the accountability piece, I feel like the best results come from self-accountability because nobody wants to be micromanaged. And I don't think any leader really wants to be defined as a micromanager. But if you can get to the point where you've made a commitment that is so ironclad, so simple, that the only person who really needs to hold you accountable is yourself, you're going to go a long ways to developing a really great relationship with management and leadership because you're delivering very consistently on things that really resonate with you from that hell yeah standpoint. And I'll litmus test. Let's revisit it, Andrea. Anything that's not a hell yes is a no. So you committed to this, that, and the other. And you said, don't worry about it, Adrian. I got it. So scale of one to 10 towards hell yes, where are we at? 10 out of 10, hell yes, I'm going to do it. So if you can get to that point where you are the, you're the gatekeeper to accountability and you continue to deliver on the smallest commitments, those will build towards bigger commitments and you'll simultaneously make your leader's life a lot easier so they don't have to check in on you all the time, which is only going to help their self-image so they don't have to feel like they're breathing down your neck is only going to make their job easier. It's only going to make their life ultimately easier. And so as a leader, if you can find other members of your team to buy into what accountability looks like, have it mutually agreed upon. And honestly, from my experience, ultimately boil down to you more often keeping yourself accountable than the accountability buddy that people talk about, the leader, the peer. If it's self-accountability, that's when you're going to have the greatest degree of achievement and accomplishment towards these goals and commitments you make. But if I'm leaving it up to you, Andrea, and you got a million other things going on, I could already see you shaking your head. I don't know if I want to do that. And it's true. Anytime somebody says, hey, can you hold me accountable? I'm like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> pump the brakes here. No. This just means you likely overcommitted, overextended yourself, or maybe you didn't even think Maybe this step you committed to, this action item you committed to, you didn't even really mean it. Mm -hmm. So we need to go back to expectation setting and then revisit, okay, how are you going to hold yourself accountable? Um, and that's how, you know, over time you start building better habits because you are your own, um, <clears throat> you're the end all be all, you're the gatekeeper to making sure these things get delivered on. And then when an opportunity comes up, you've positioned yourself quite well to take advantage of that opportunity 
um, because you're delivering on everything else. So why not put you in a position to, to make the next step? That's great. I fully agree. It totally resonates with me about accountability and the importance for leaders to be accountable is a practice they need to hone because having come from the training and development side of business, when we would execute training, the managers would take for granted that, oh, they've been trained, so now they can execute. But <laughs> the accountability side of it, that's really critical. So when you're working with your coaching clients, I know you and I talked about um, you know, see one, do one, teach one. And in your mindset, it's a little bit different, but it has the same level of requirement to get the leaders to really fully adopt. You got to do it. We got to be sure that you know how to execute it. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about that process? Because I think that one really will help to simplify leadership skills immensely. Yeah. So what I would add there, what we talked about before this, so there's the see one, do one, teach one, which is often used in a clinical setting when you're training doctors for surgery and other procedures. What I would add from a leadership standpoint is in between the see one and the do one is the we do one together. And so you see one, you watch me, the leader, uh, deliver on whatever that is. I come alongside you. I partner with you. I don't um, dictate things to you. I don't command anything of you, but I show you. And then we do it together. And only then do you go out on your own. And then what happens is you teach somebody else. So you just kind of write, you just start the cycle right, right back all over again, just like the leader did for you. So in a coaching conversation, you're actually helping the coachee or the client coach themselves. And the best coaches do that. And so you do that by helping people come to powerful insights on their own. You help them teach themselves how to become accountable. You help them access their intuition so that you, the coach, in between your one or two weeks of your coaching sessions... They start delivering on all these things because they're holding themselves accountable, taking what they learn in a coaching session and teaching themselves to apply it. And they're teaching themselves. But what's always at the end is the teach, right? Learn, do, teach. See one, do one, teach one. Teach is always at the end. It's the highest form of learning. So when you go back and demonstrate that to somebody else and you pass that knowledge on, I would even say as a coach, as I'm coaching someone to do this, I'm growing and learning as a coach. Brilliant way to look at things. And obviously, if that philosophy didn't work, we would have a bunch of ill-equipped physicians and surgeons out there. That's just something that proves to work very well. And what we know about trainings and these overnight is that there's something like within a week, 75% of it's lost. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't capture that in a one-on-one, in a team meeting, in a coaching session, if you don't capture the insights gained, the learning coupled with an action step, coupled with accountability. That's where these training programs that get millions of dollars, some companies invest in them. A week later, there's no, there's no clear communication on what the goals were, the accountability, what that looks like, and how to continue to have these people implement these things so they can teach other people and, and simultaneously teach themselves. And that's why coaching is so great. You can make an impact on all those levels in a conversation. And leaders can implement those 
exact same principles to varying degree, but they can implement some of that in their, in their one-on-ones with their people. Which is a great trickle-down philosophy, trickling down the right behaviors. And that in and of itself can help to de-stress a leader because they're giving back more. They're helping set people up for success. You are certainly doing that in the people tree. Tell me how people can work with you directly. I've always said that it is better to experience coaching than for me to explain coaching. I'm on social media. I've, I've had other conversations like this. I do explain coaching. The best thing to do is reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm very easy to find and read through my bio page as if you're trying to, to gauge whether or not it's just like looking through any other advertisement to determine if this is something I want to move forward with. I have 60 or 70 personal recommendations from people who I've coached. You can read through those if you'd like. If then something resonates with you, let's first have a call and it'll be a 30 minute call, which you can book right from the LinkedIn page, right at the very top. It says 30 minute call right at the top, right below my headline. And we'll have a 30 minute conversation to determine what my expectations are if we decide to move forward and have a coaching conversation. And then you can decide if it's a hell yes, or if it's something other than that, if you choose to move forward with a complimentary coaching session. If at the end of the 30 minute coaching session, we decide it's a good fit for both parties. It's advantageous for you, how you approach things or what you're looking to get is something I can support you with. And it's a hell yes. Then I offer a one to one and a half hour coaching session that will absolutely be the most powerful conversation anybody has in their lives. And I mean it that way because I want them to get as much out of it because if they choose to not move forward with my paid program, I want that standalone coaching session to be really impactful so that you can apply some of what you've learned over that hour, hour and a half, and you still found it valuable. And I'm open to having a conversation with just about anyone, even if you're not a leader, even if you don't consider yourself a driven professional. I want to thank Adrian Trumbo for joining us today and for really bringing his intellect to the table for leaders. I think what you're doing for them is paramount to success, but it's also paramount to helping them de-stress and simplify, getting back to that primal simplification, digging into being instead of doing and thinking that that's the metric for success. It really is sometimes just about sitting, listening, and being there for the people that they lead. So I thank you for beating that drum. That's a powerful one to be. Thank you for joining 52 Weeks of Empowerment. That's all we have time for this week, but thank you for tuning in this week. We'll catch you next week. Same time, same place, more power.